0: cross that one. That's a good one. Amen. You can be seated. Praise God. We had a busy, busy week uh, last week. Brother David Bejarano, are you here? Brother David, please stand up. This man was very, very busy last week. We need to give him a hand clap of appreciation for uh, (laughs) praise God. I love you, brother David. He was here twice this week, setting up, tearing down. That's a That's a lot of work and he takes ownership of that. And I appreciate that very, very much along with so many others that stepped in. You know, sometimes people uh, will call a request and we have on the calendar opportunity to use our facilities. But we're somewhat limited now because we're in here, not in the sanctuary. Uh, But Sometimes people will ask about uh, using the facilities and we're always open to using our facilities, that's what they're here for. Uh, but sometimes it takes a little work because we have a thriving school. As I walked in for the funeral service on Thursday for Brother Al Velazquez, the chapel service had not ended, it was ending. And so we, we, they went out and then we prepared for that. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts that happen when you do something like that. And there's a lot of you that are involved in that. from Cleaning before to make sure things are presentable, setting up tables and chairs, to volunteering, to serving, uh, to putting it all back when it's all finished and done, to cleaning up and making sure everything is stocked. And last week was a busy, busy week. Friday night, there was a, a youth party And then that ended and Saturday morning we were back in here for funeral service. So there's a lot that takes place throughout the week. And this week is going to be no different with services and and weddings and what have you. Um, But there were a few things that were mentioned uh, yesterday. Brother Nate Reese's father, Pete, along with Sister Gloria's husband, we had a funeral service here for him yesterday. There was a, actually there was a great crowd, both funeral services, both of them with a lot of uh, family members from this area uh, that gathered. Some of you probably don't even know how Velasquez. He came uh, at 30, got married at 36 to know he, he was here when we were having church in the gymnasium, had to leave, was forced to leave. Uh, because of a lung situation lived 20 years they told him he would only have 10 told him he would have no children he has three children a lot of his family were here and there is a place that we go to just about every week my wife and i for lunch it's called prime time the owner of prime time is al velasquez cousin and uh, so i see him just about every week but i've never seen him here but This week, I saw him here. So there's a connection that is made because of that. And they were so very, very thankful uh, for the contribution of the church. So it's an opportunity to express uh, our love, gratitude and to be a servant in the house of God when things like this happen. Thank you for everybody that participated and chipped in for doing that. And yesterday, there was a great, great crowd here yesterday and people were very, very moved by the service yesterday. And so I want Brother Nate to come. Um, he did an, an incredible job organizing all of that, speaking. And I uh, appreciate him and his wife. But I just want him to tell you just uh, maybe some of the comments that, that I didn't hear, hear or some of you others have not heard about uh, what they were saying. Some of them, probably their first time ever coming into a apostolic
1: service by the name praise the lord church first i just want to say thank you to this beautiful church family you know you you i think you really, really don't realize how great the children of god are in times like this when we just feel the outpouring of love and prayers and support i just want to say to each and every one of you thank you i love you and um appreciate you so dearly but yesterday uh for my father's funeral there were probably enough catholics we could have had a catholic mass here yesterday but the reality is is that most of them have never been to a funeral service outside of a catholic funeral so what they felt here yesterday just the presence of god the holy ghost many of them were moved and touched Somebody even came up to me afterwards, a lot of family, and just, they embraced me and said, wow, what an incredible funeral service. We've never seen anything like this before. They were moved. Brother Frank Cabrera, we talked yesterday, and he mentioned to me that during the slideshow, when they showed my father being baptized in Jesus' name, that he looked around and he saw a family that were emotional, moved, and began to cry, and weep. And... Um, That church is a testimony, It's a testimony. I believe that there will be family of mine that will come to church and receive this glorious gospel out of that.
0: Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. Uh, Brother Fields was telling me that individual told him, you mean all of these people came down here on a Saturday to serve food and to help and be a part of this? And so I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of everybody that was here this week. Amen. If you were not here, know that you were praying and believing that God somehow would help us reach others. Amen. In Jesus name. If you have your Bibles, let's stand together. First Timothy chapter four, verse number seven. I want to be talking to you today. From this passage of scripture, it is one of the misinterpreted scriptures in the Bible because of a phrase that is in it, but I want to launch from it. First Timothy chapter four and verse number seven, but refuse profane and old wives fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Amen. I want to speak to you just for a few moments this morning on putting godliness to work. Putting godliness to work. Lord, we thank you and praise you today for your word. Strengthen us in the house of God in every class on this piece of property today bless everybody in jesus name we pray amen god bless you you can be seated this morning it's good to see everybody this morning in the house of god the reason why this is misinterpreted many times is because of the for bodily exercise profiteth little and that takes up all the air in the room and what is left is not a whole lot and the real thrust of what paul is saying is the latter part of the verse, which is godliness is profitable unto all things. Putting godliness to work is the focus that Paul is trying to bring to the text, and yet many only focus on the opening phrase. Paul is not saying that bodily exercise is meaningless, that we don't need it, or that it's not necessary. It absolutely is. You stop moving and you will die. There is definitely a a profit in exercise and watching your diet and maintaining your health and trying to extend uh, your lifespan as far out as you can. And the reason why you would do that or even think that is because uh, God needs you in the kingdom of God and he needs you at your best. And so only focusing on the first part and thinking that that is not necessary misses the point. Because Paul is is not saying that that is not something that is a good thing. But in comparison to the earthly things and the physical things, Paul is saying the better thing that you can do in terms of the kingdom and looking at the larger context, and that is to put godliness to work or to exercise godliness in your life. He's talking about a person's character and how they live their life. And that is a person's moral constitution embedded in a set of values. Who you are, what you value. It's a person's constitution. We have a constitution in our country, and most countries do. There's a set of of values that that country exemplifies. And we have one of those in, in our country. And yet, at the same time, individually, There's also a constitution that you establish in your own life, the way that you're going to live, the values. Some of these things are influenced by your parents or the way that you were brought up, upbringing. And so some of those things have a connection to others. But ultimately, you make a decision about the kind of person that you want to be. And it is a constitution, a personal constitution constitution that has a set of values i want you to know today i was telling my wife on the way here why is it so difficult to wake up on sunday morning when it's not difficult on any other day why is that uh she said the devil doesn't want you to love jesus i said well okay all right if that's the case I've got a, a constitution, though, that says I'm going to the house of God. I've got a set of values that say it doesn't matter how difficult it is to get up in the morning. I'm going to the house of God because my constitution, my values, I want it to be applied as part of my character to be in the house of God. I've made a divine appointment to be here so that I can bless his name. And lift him up and give him praise. Did you come to do that today? Amen. To give the Lord praise and worship. That's character. And that's part of your constitution. Other people are going to map out a different constitution for themselves. And then it becomes a matter of which constitution is the best constitution or which worldview is the best worldview. Driving to the house of God today, I saw someone on the side of the road that made me very, very angry because their constitution and their values that they've established in their life have led them into a very, very difficult place. And and this makes me angry at the enemy of our soul, because sometimes he can market a certain constitution that is it's not a good place. It doesn't end up well. It's a bad marketing job up front. It looks really good. But on the, the end of it, it's not good at all. We should be very, very thankful that we've got our right mind. We're in the house of God today. God has done great things for us. We can lift our hands and worship him because there's a constitution in our character that values God's faithfulness and his mercy and his grace. Praise God. I want to testify today. Not everybody is going to take that choice. But I want to tell you today, you've taken the right choice. You've got the right constitution. You've got the right set of values. It's going to affect your character and make you who you need to be. Praise God. Amen. And and God can help you with that. You believe that? God can help you with that. We are not all perfect. Is there anyone perfect here today? Please raise your hand if you are perfect so I can talk to you after service. All of us have had struggles, and somebody said amen. Amen. Some of us have had more struggles than others, but ultimately we're all in the same basket. We all need God's mercy and all. We all need God's grace, and we need his goodness to us to help us, move us from where we are to where we need to be. Wherever you are here today, you're not where God wants you to be. I thought I'd get more amens than that. Wherever you are today, you are not where God wants you to be. Because you are continually moving toward Jesus Christ. And until you are resurrected out of this earth and you have an immortal body, you're always going to be striving to be more like Jesus. Amen. And you're never going to get there. (laughs) You, You are never going to get there. It's a process. It's a destination. You don't just one day arrive and have a messianic complex. It's a striving. It's a destination. I'm here in the house of God today working on my character. I'm working on it. I'm trying to put godliness to work. Godliness is profitable unto all things. And when you look at what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy and Titus, when he's talking to young men, he's talking to young men in the faith, in the ministry, he's trying to build them, give them a proper ministerial rounding so that they're fully complemented and balanced, so that they can do great things for God. You read this and you will see how many things are directly connected to character. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Let's just read some of these as Paul is giving instructions. He said, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. Apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them, which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave. Not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon, well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice that in Paul's philosophy of leadership, where he's talking to these young men in the faith, young ministers in the faith, that his focus is is on godly character. It's not around personality. He says nothing here about personality. It's not about, uh, it's not about gifting. He's not talking about how talented they are and everything that they can bring to the table, and personality, and their charisma. He's not talking about any of that. He is talking about character. Why would Paul spend time in instruction to these men and tell them that character matters, that putting godliness to work matters? Why would he do that? He is putting these young men into places, and they are ministering in places. In fact, Titus is ministering in Crete, and if you read the opening pages of Titus, it tells us how the Cretans, how they think of themselves, and so Titus is in a very, very difficult place and environment where he is trying to establish a work of God, and Paul is here talking about character. Why would he do that? Because Paul knows and understands that character has staying power, that when difficult times come, the constitution that is in Titus' life and Timothy's life, when everything buffets them, their personal constitution and their set of values that is connected to the word of God is going to establish them and build a character that is going to last no matter what the Cretans do. Whether they're up or down, they're going to stay because they have good character. And in the process of staying and in the process of timing, There are going to be some Cretians that say, I want what you've got. I want your testimony. And they will come into the church. And a church will be established on the island of Crete because there was somebody that had character and that they stayed in the midst of every storm. Paul was saying, it's not about how charismatic you are. Because typically, sometimes, most times, oftentimes, charismatic people are not people that have staying power. People that have great aptitude and talent are not people sometimes that have staying power. Those people need character just like everybody else needs character or they'll be a novice and they'll be led away because of their own selfishness. Paul was saying, if you're going to build a thriving, powerful church, if you're going to be servant of Jesus Christ, if you're going to work in the kingdom, you've got to have a, have a set of of constitutional values in your life that establishes some character that will give you staying power. You will stick and you will stay because you have developed the the notion, the idea of putting godliness to work. Success is going to come to the degree that you give careful attention to growing in godliness toward God, toward others, and toward yourself. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So our opening text in Scripture. Paul is telling Timothy, put godliness to work, put it to work in your faith, put it to work in love for other people, put it to work in integrity toward yourself. Put these things into motion, because when you are an example to the believers, you will be an example to them in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, purity. All of that is connected to character. And how do you get that kind of character how do you develop that kind of character? How do you build that? If that's the answer, then how do, you, how do you get it? Romans chapter 5 and verse number 3 gives to us an understanding of how you receive and build character. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. How do you build character when a tribulation comes? God helps you through the tribulation and the trial and it builds patience in you. And then the patience, you get experience. And then in the experience, you get hope. And it's a hope that maketh not a shame. Difficulties are going to come to your life, and those are character building situations. Don't run from a difficulty. Understand that God is building something in you that is lasting, that has staying power. Everybody wants to run away from everything that is difficult, everything that caused them pain, everything that, that appears to be suffering. The scripture simply does not follow that trajectory. The scripture is always there is a God that can walk with you through the fire And when you come out on the other side, you're going to come forth as gold. God is a consuming fire. He's going to burn out all the dross and the impurities that are in your life. And he's going to make you a person of value and a person of character when you enter into difficulties. The scripture said glory in tribulations. Because those tribulations bring about patience, and patience brings about experience. Anybody here tonight, have have you gone through some difficulties today, this morning? Have you gone through some difficulties? Praise God. Are there any here this morning going through some difficulties? I know you are. You are. You know what you need? You need the anointing of God and the strength of God. Praise God. God's going to be with you. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, join with me. If there's somebody in this house here today that needs the power and anointing of God because they are walking through a difficulty, praise God. Let's join together right now and believe that there is a God that gives to us the ability, the anointing, and the power to carry you through what you're going through. He is well able to do above and beyond what we could even think or ask. Amen. So we say in Jesus name, Jesus name today, we are praying for you. Paul said glory and tribulations. This is how you end up with proven character. This is how you go through the you are. You become the refined product of testing. When God, when things come your way and there are tests, there are tests that that come across your path, and you come through those things, then not only do you have character, but you have proven character. This is why Paul said to Timothy, character is important. You can't be a novice because a novice might be lifted up, and the first moment of struggle or difficulty, they may run, flee, fall apart, break down, walk away, because they couldn't handle it. And so Paul is telling them you got to be a person of character because when you are buffeted, when difficulty comes your way, you don't run from it. You trust in God and God is going to direct you and help you through that. And then when you come out on the other side, you are going to have proven character and proven character is what elevates you and gives you credibility Credibility is what matters when you're trying to have an influence on the world that is around you. If I'm if, if I'm here in the house of God falling apart every service, something is wrong with my character because something hasn't grown and developed in me. Praise God. If I'm up, down, I can't figure out which way is which. I need to work on my character to get a balance and a consistency so people know I'm in the house of God and I am a child of God. God. I'm not wishy-washy. I'm not up and down. I'm not here one week and not here the next week. I'm here because God is helping me in every test that I go through. God is faithful, and so I'm going to make it. I'm going to put my faith in him and my confidence in him, and I'm going to come through with a testimony. When you come out with a testimony, you have a proven character, which makes you credible. People will listen to you if you're credible. People will follow you if you're credible. They won't follow you if you They won't follow you. They'll marginalize you. They'll be kind to you. (laughs) But when you start prognosticating on what you think and what you know, and they haven't seen the fruits of what you're saying, you're not going to have the credibility that you need. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. You want your kids to be rooted and grounded in the faith? Then be a credible parent. Be a parent that's in the house of God that prays, that worships God, that lives it at home and that lives it outside of the home so that the child can look at you with credibility. If, if you're not following that path, you're going to have some rebellious kids and teenagers one of these days that point the finger back at you one of these days and says to you, why do you tell me to do something when you yourself won't do it? And they probably won't say that for a long, long time. They'll wait until they get some independence and are grown up to be able to actually say that to you but they'll harbor that and they'll it'll fester and it will create a spirit of animosity and rebellion that should not be in your household. Praise God, you need to be a parent that is a godly parent, that is a credible parent that has proven character. I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but you got to let those children know, I'm trying. We're trying. We're going to live for God. We're going to make it. We're not going to backslide. We're not going to fall away. We're going to live for God, and we're gonna have revival. Amen. That's intentional. That's intentional. That's putting godliness to work, and it's what creates the notion of credibility. It's an opportunity to prove God's grace, physical hardship. Emotional distress, persecution, these things are going to build me and make me. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse four, But in all things approving yourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and tumults in Labors and watchings and fastings by pureness by knowledge by long suffering by kindness by the Holy Ghost by love unfeigned, by the word of truth by the power of God by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left by honor and dishonor by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live as chastened and not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor Yet making many rich is having nothing and yet possessing all things. These things are making me credible. It is godliness at work. And you look at just about every person in the scripture and you're going to find the same pattern. Praise God, the same pattern that people have gone through all of these things, and yet God brought them through with a testimony. Joseph was betrayed, sold by his family into slavery, was falsely accused, was imprisoned over a period of 13 years, 13 years before he was elevated. We look at Joseph as one of the credible characters in the scripture that we can use as a model and an example of what we can be. Anybody here today betrayed? Anyone here sold into slavery by your own family? Anybody here falsely accused? Were you in prison for 13 years before you got out? See, we we sometimes magnify our little problems to such huge proportions. This today is called catastrophizing. And this is the culture of our day right now. Catastrophizing. If I see something that that triggers me, uh, I blow it up into this big catastrophe that is so huge that everybody looks at me like I've lost my mind because it's really not that big. This is one of the problems when you start throwing out, when you start calling people Adolf Hitler, whoever it is. Because you don't like whatever, their politics or what they, you catastrophize your dislike for somebody to the elevation of 7 million Jews that lost their life. Do You realize how ignorant that sounds? That's catastrophizing. We blow these, <laughs> we live in a society and a culture right now, especially our teenage population and, and, and some of our iGen, generation kids, they catastrophize. We can't have somebody coming onto campus speaking something because, and then they'll catastrophize. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause harm and damage to us. And, and just don't go. Don't go to the speech. That's one thing you can do. Just don't show up. We can do the same thing if we're not careful in living for God. When you hear of what Joseph went through, and then we take our problems, you don't know what he said to me. He said something to me, and I get over your ego. Stop it. Stop trying to be so big and bold and self-important humble yourself and say God I need you to lead me in the direction that you go and not everything else because I'm not all that we we get so out of whack with with what somebody said and what somebody did they didn't shake my hand they didn't look at me they didn't all this kind of stuff that is that is so small in comparison to what some of these biblical characters went through. And we want to hang on to it because it's our personal injury and battle to fight. You'll be lost if you hang on to that kind of stuff. It will take you to hell if you get so bitter about stuff that is so small and insignificant to what the scripture actually teaches us. You need to man up, woman up, and say, God, the Holy Ghost is in me so that I can be a child of God. This is offensive to some of you because it's exactly what you need to change in your character. Somebody met me in the lobby over there in that sanctuary and put out their hand to me and said, I need to apologize to you because I just want you to know that for so long I hated you. What do you say to that? Praise God. It's good to see you this morning. Hallelujah. (laughs) I didn't hold that against him. I was merciful two or three times. (laughs) Merciful. Two or three times merciful. Got bent out of shape, chased off new disciples, new converts, filling their heads, all kinds of stuff. You can't do that. We have babies coming in here. You're not going to come in here and abort the babies that are trying to grow and develop. He comes back. Can I, can I, I apologize? Can I come back? I want to come back to church. There's no church like this in Bakersfield. I know that. I knew that when you left. There's no church like this. It's the best church in the city. <clears throat> can I come back? Yeah, you can come back. I'll let you come back because I'm not going to harbor and hold things. I want you to be saved. If I held every little thing that people said to me and had, I'll tell you what I wouldn't be, a good pastor. Because a good pastor always looks at the best in people the best in people, and you should too. The first thing that should come to your mind is I want to look for the best in people. You can get, that's why the writer said, a root of bitterness springing up can defile generations, catastrophize. I've got, there's people I know, a business deal went bad. Way, way back there. Nobody else even knows it. But every opportunity, they're going to bring it up, and it's all going to go back there, and what happened, and what was done, and what was did, and how it was not fair, and how it was not right. And that catastrophizing, yeah, in the, in the time that it happened, it was a big deal, but you have latched on to that and you've latched onto it, and you've carried it your entire life, Anytime you come up against a struggle or a test, it goes back to that. You would be what you need to be, but that happened. You would be who God called you to be, but that happened. And it all goes back to that, and it not only affects you, but it affects your wife, and then it affects your kids, and it affects your grandkids who are not even in church because everything they've heard their entire life is how it wasn't right, and you're bitter, you're bitter at everybody else, and you're bitter at God, and it's just a big mess. And so there is a wide swath of destruction because of something that I'm going to hang on to. That's a flaw in character. Because the, the scripture reveals to us that whether we like it or not, we got to work those things out. And the reason why we've got to work those things out is because in the kingdom of God, in the servitude to the kingdom of God, God can't have hurt people because hurt people hurt people. He can't have bitter people because bitter people destroy ministries. And there's not going to be revival if there's all this stuff that is underneath the surface. We got to get that stuff out and say, God, prove me, prove me, build my character, give me credibility that I've got a testimony out the other side, that yes, people did things to me that were wrong. Yes, they said things about me that were wrong. They might have lied about me, gossiped about me. They might have done a lot of stuff to try to stop me, but I'm still preaching. I'm still teaching. I'm still working. I'm still living for God. I've got a smile on my face. I've got to worship. I've got to dance in my step. I'm going to live for God with everything that I've got because I want to influence the world around me. I'm not going to go to the grave bitter bitter about my father and what I did or didn't have bitter about circumstances physically that have taken place in my life that I didn't really care for or like I want God to build some character, some credibility in my life. Moses felt he was ready to leave at 40, but he ended up tending sheep in the desert for another 40 years. Joshua was Moses' apprentice as a young person. He had to watch his entire generation die off during 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Can you imagine that? Joshua knows I'm going to the promised land. I'm going to get there because I've got faith and I, I, I was given, to the, given the promise that I'm going to get there, Joshua and Caleb. I'm going to get there. But here I am watching 40 years of a generation die off. He could have been very, very bitter. Why, why am I wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years? It could have cost him actually getting into the promised land. It could have if he would have gotten so bitter wandering around in a desert for 40 years. Ladies and gentlemen, the group of us that are in here, all the young people and the children, they're gone. They're not in here, right, except for maybe a few. They don't think about time, do they? They got the whole, what does Frank Sinatra say, got the whole world on a string or something like that? They think they've got the whole world on a string, but when you're our age... Time's important. Time means something, right? And when you're, when you're my age, you, you better make every bit of your time count because you've only got so much time to live. And here Joshua is wandering around in the desert. There's no revival. They're just people dying. And yet he didn't let that affect him. And he entered into the promised land. David, after being anointed by Samuel, received not a crown, but 15 years as a fugitive trying to escape a madman in the life of Saul. It was a total of 22 years before he was crowned as the undisputed king of Israel. He could have been so very bitter. Yet he is known as a man after God's own heart. Nehemiah returns to broken down walls, burned gates, determined enemies, threats of physical violence, demoralized workforce, internal dissension, and grave personal danger. And he could have said, God, you've brought me back to this land to do this. But he recognized the bigger picture, and the bigger picture is, I'm going to make this city and these walls of Jerusalem, I'm going to make them great again. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Peter and John walked with the Lord three years and then sifted his wheat. Paul spent nearly a decade in Arabia, then in Tarsus, before Barnabas rescued him from obscurity. We didn't even think about that. We think Paul just, boom, hits the scene. Wow, He's doing missionary work. No, he spent 10 years in the desert. Barnabas rescued him from obscurity. I, I want to end with this. I was reading this article uh, yesterday, and it's got some very good points in it, and, and really the only connection to this message is the last one. <clears throat> Although there's some other things mixed in there, because what I'm talking about this morning is putting godliness to work, to living intentional, living a life of character, do you think about that? That's what I'm preaching here this morning. Do you think about that? Do you sit down and take inventory of what it means to live a life of character, to have a proven character that gives you credibility? And in order to get credibility, that means I'm going to have to go through some difficulty, but I know that God's going to walk with me. And in the process of that, I know that I can have an influence and an impact on people around me. I'm living intentionally. Intentionally. Thank God for everybody that's here this morning because you lived intentionally to get to the house of God. There were a lot of reasons, excuses that you could have taken not to be here, but this morning, you're here. That's living intentionally. Clap your hands and thank God for everybody that's here this morning. That's living purposefully. And our whole life is like that. One of the, one of the most, one of the... This is a whole nother discussion, but some people want to know what is hell going to be. like. Well, there's descriptions of hell. A, there was a trash heap called Gehenna that is a valley that if you're standing in a certain area of Jerusalem, you can actually look down into the valley of Gehenna. And it was a it was where all the refuge was in ancient times. They didn't plow them under with tractors. They burned everything that was in it. Now there's a huge, big church down in the valley. They, everywhere in Israel, they put a some kind of religious edifice over the top of it, and there's this large uh, church that is down in the valley of Gehenna. The Bible talks about fire, brimstone. Talks about maggots, where the worm is not quenched, the fire doesn't go out because it was a it was a refuge of nastiness. <clears throat> but the the Bible also talks about hell being a place of darkness and ganashing of teeth. I like to say it that way. It's gnashing, but ganashing <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> I don't know. There's darkness, and yet there's, these are all examples or symbols of what hell in an eternal state would even be like. And I, I don't think anybody has the answer to all of that just like nobody has the answer completely to what heaven is going to be like. But one of the hellish places to live, one of the hellish places to live on earth is when you're half trying to live for God and half not. You're bifurcated in your spirituality. That is not a good, wholesome place to be. Emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, I'm just telling you today, you need to give God everything that you've got. You'll be in a much better place when you do. You can't party on the weekend and then worship God on a Sunday night. Something wrong with that picture. And you won't get away with it because ultimately, God will deal with you with that when nobody else knows. Internally, there's dissonance, spiritual dissonance that's connected to that. I want you to know here in the house of God, I am not perfect and I'm striving, but I am not going to live that kind of life. I'm going to try to give God everything that I've got and and everything that I bring, even if it's not measured up. I'm going to say, God, here's everything I've got. Help me to be better. I want to strive to be better. I want to live for you. So in in this article on Living Intentionally, The reasons why we fail is because we flounder in a sea of possibilities. We have too many ideas about what we want to become, and then when we get started, we get pulled in another direction, and then we get pulled in another direction. Sometimes we fear that we're going to miss out if we don't jump on this really quick. And so all of these seas of possibility keep us from being intentional. And then the second hurdle is sustainability. We demand too much change, too soon, and then we take on way more than we can handle. It's not sustainable. We we want change fast, and we take on more than we can do, and and then the whole system falls apart at the sign of stress. I want to say this. I want to be very clear here. Be careful what you say to new converts that are coming to God. Okay? They... <laughs> they... They, they are not going to look like us. They're not going to dress like us. Now, if, if you've been coming to church and you haven't changed anything for 10 years, then something is wrong with that picture. Because somehow you're not getting it. But for somebody that's coming to God and striving to be right, don't hit them over the head with every standard that you can think of. Give them some space. Let them grow how about, this is really good, develop a relationship with them so that you could share with them some things without it feeling like you're bludgeoning them, and they will grow in some things because they know you care. We want, we want too much change too fast, and this keeps us from living intentionally. One of the best things that the article says that you can do in terms of becoming more that's a solution to some complex problems is to subtract because subtraction is more robust than addition. You subtract some things if you're wanting too much, too fast, too many things, then you subtract some things so that you can do a good job at a few things rather than trying to do everything And doing a bad job. That's not good for intentional living. There are some things I need to subtract out of my life. So I become intentional by subtracting the things out of my life that are going to keep me from doing a good job at the few things that I really want to do. And being intentional isn't about what you say yes to. It's about what you say no to. Because you can say yes, 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 yes to the point you got too many possibilities where you need to say no to some things. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say no. If if I say yes, I'm going to get spread too thin, then I'm not going to be effective. I'm going to have to say no here to this. This is intentional living. So subtraction. Until you've taken care of the low-hanging fruit, there's nothing else that you need to focus on. Clear the dead wood, prune the weak branches, and growth starts taking care of itself. But if a tree gets too much, then it starts doing the opposite. You've got to prune some things out. And in terms of living intentionally, you've got to prune some things out. Now, there's a lot of spiritual ramifications here, but if you're doing so much you can't get to church, <laughs> you need to start pruning, pruning some things off. So that you can do a good thing at the one thing you know you need to be doing, which is to get to the house of God. And if you've got so many things going on that you can not be used in the kingdom of God, teach a Bible study, be involved, serve, volunteer, do this, do that, ministry, then there's some pruning in my life that needs to take place because I should seek first the kingdom of God first above everything else where we're going over here and there and there. Listen, if you're, if you're pursuing your hobbies so much that you can't live for God, something is wrong there. And it's going to have an impact and effect on you, your kids and, 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 and generations down the road, because you have purposely been intentional about putting hobbies and things like that. Of serving God. That's an idol. That's a modern day idol. And God is not interested in idolatry. What he is interested in is in worship. Praise God. All these things will be added. They'll come to you, but I'm not going to do some things that's going to restrict or limit my walk with God. Thank God that there have been some of you that came to me and said, my job is important. I need my job, but I feel like God is telling me I need to trust him because I can't get the church Like, I want to get to church, and so I'm going to trust God to provide something better for me. I think that's a good intention. Now, there are some cases you get a job, and they want to work you like mad because they're not hiring a bunch of people, and you may have to do that to get your foot in the door and try to show them you can add value. But then at some point, you need to bring up to them, you know what? I appreciate your job. I love this. You see the value that I bring to this, but I really need to go to church. Is there a way we can work my schedule so that I can get to the house of God? Praise God. Sometimes you have to do that. But if it's just, I can't get there, I just can't. Listen, do you trust God or not? Because if God is first in your life, you're going to trust him with everything in your life, your career, your education, your job. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah. (laughs) There's some things I need to prune in my life. If I'm not reading my Bible like I need to be, I need to prune some things. If I'm spending five or six hours on my phone. I read an article that was really good. that said on the, on, on the safety of children and social media and their development. Some of you, I've talked to you and I ask you, you, you said to me, we had to take it away. We had to take it away because they, they couldn't handle it. It's weird. Social media, iPads, giving them something to try to try to bait, distract them, and so it, it got to the point where we just took it away. But this article was saying two hours is, is two hours is is wholesome, and then beyond that, not so much. Did you know they're having discussions right now about Facebook and some of these other companies about the damage that it's doing to uh, young girls in terms of, of, of how they view themselves? They are. They're calling them before Congress and wanting to know how are you are going to fix this because they've created these little feedback loops and likes and then all these filters, catfishing. <laughs> you know what catfishing is? No, this is the adult class this morning. All the kids are out. They're not here. (laughs) Catfishing is you create a social perception that you look, woo, But then when you're seen in reality, that's called catfishing. Prune some things. Prune some things. I'm quickly coming to an end. Start pruning. You may have to say no to good opportunities. There's no shortage of good and interesting opportunities. The reason most people fail to live intentionally is rarely that they sit around and do nothing all day. But more typically, they're pulled in a 100 different directions. So there's some pruning. But musicians come. I, I don't need singers. I just need some keyboard stuff over here. Well, I got to the end of the article, and this is what became very fascinating to me about putting godliness to work and living intentionally and developing character and proving yourself and becoming credible. And I feel like I feel like some of you shut me off right there because you don't feel like you can get there. I'm I'm telling you, you can get there. You say, well, yeah, but look where you are and look where I am. It, it's not a matter. It's not a matter of where we are. It's a it's a matter of how we take one step at a time. Don't compare don't compare my situation with your situation. Because this is what this this might shock you. We were all at the same place at one time. And so there are people in different stages of development. Stop man, stop comparing yourself. I wish I could do like he does or do. Don't why? Because if you did that, you'd be just like him. And that'd be boring because you're different than he is. You don't need everybody worshiping like Brother Casey. It's Brother Casey. Can you imagine if the whole church worshiped like Brother Casey? Wow. You don't need more Mariannes. We've got one Marianne. That's enough. That's enough. You don't need more Kevin Bradford's. We got one Kevin Bradford. That's good. We don't need more Buddy Pertels. We got one Buddy Pertell. Stop comparing yourself. I wish I could do this. Find what you can do and do it to the best of your ability. Man, that, that comparison thing is a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Run, run. It's a trap. Brother Ernie's a trap. Don't get caught in it. We like you just the way you are. But here's 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 my conclusion. I'm sorry. I've I've gone quite a bit here this morning. But this, at the end of it, to live intentionally and and in my viewpoint, putting Godliness to work, it says stop reading self-help books. <laughs> stop. It says. They can be a great source of initial inspiration and advice for making positive changes in your life. I mean, I do that. I, I, th- I thought that was a part of personal development. I read books on leadership and this and that. I thought that meant, and he's saying here, stop reading self-help, and here's why. Thinking and reading about changing your life gives you a sense of control without any of the hard parts. if i'm reading about leadership i feel like i'm in control of it but the hard part is what doing it oh man a light bulb went off i've met some people and they can tell you about everything that you need to do but they don't do it themselves and so this guy says, if you want to be intentional, read some books. That's good. But don't just keep reading them. At some point, you've got to put it into action. Action, action. Once you start living intentionally, you have a general idea of the direction you're heading. And then you cut back on your reading and you start doing. Praise God. Living intentional is not a destination, it's a direction. Putting godliness to work in your life is not a destination. It is a direction. Praise God. It's a direction. It's a direction. I'm going to put godliness to work. It's a direction. Does it mean that I've arrived? No, but it means I'm going the right direction. Amen. And I want to preach to every single one of you today. I may have said some things that might have rubbed you wrong. Might have offended you, might have been a little harsh, but ultimately understand my burden here today. What I'm saying here today is you can be better. Doesn't matter, (laughs) doesn't matter where you think you are, you can be, God can do great things in your life. Put it into action. God's going to build some character and credibility in you, and you're going to be used of God. Praise God. You hear me? You're going to be used of God. I don't care what, listen, at, at some point, you got to draw a line in the sand and say I'm through with that. And I'm going this direction. Yeah, well what who cares? That's in the past. I don't care. God's got me going the right direction. I'm going to be used of God. At some point you got to draw a line in the sand because if you don't That stuff is is going to be a burden that drags you down from what God is calling you to be. And he's calling you to be a proven individual with character and credibility. Your testimony should be this. I was there. And thanks be to God, I am now here. And I'm through all of that, and it could have drugged me, dragged me to hell, but I'm not going that way. I'm going this way, and I've got a testimony to somebody else that ever gets in that place over there that God can... God can pull you out of there. He can heal you. He can heal your mind. He can heal your emotions. He can heal you spiritually, and he can get you going in the right direction and give you character and credibility and influence and power. Pastor, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I just preached to you this morning. That's our conversation. That's our conversation right there, right there, right there. Stop digging up the past. Stop carrying it around. Praise God. Let God test you. You know what you were going through? You were out there. I don't have time. I'm way past time. But I need to say this. You were out in the desert. You were wandering around in the desert. That's what you were doing. That's exactly what you were doing. And all those people out there, they were out there in the desert creating the desert for you. But it was purposeful because God was testing you to see what you were made of. Are you going to live for God and be what God has called you to be? Are you going to be a bitter individual that ends up losing out with God? Maybe, maybe God puts you there on purpose to develop you and grow you, to make you who you are right now, and He's still forming you and shaping you to be what you need to be. Praise God. (laughs) And listen to me, God's not through with you yet as we stand. No. No, He's not through with you. He's proven some things in you you know what he's doing he's saying when the situation gets so bad it becomes opportunity for you to see how good i am and how great i am There are going to be people that fail you my there may be even some here today that I, maybe i failed you listen don't just pin that on a person or a situation Just say, God, I'm going to trust you With you knew what you were doing at the right timing and everything that has transpired and all those things work together like fabric and you're creating something in me. You're creating something in me. Praise God. You're proving some things in me and what you're proving is that you're a God that loves me, is concerned about my salvation and you want to utilize me in the kingdom of God. And I want you to know in the house of God today with uplifted hands that I want to be used of you. Praise God. In conclusion here today, let's pray that simple prayer, right? Right here in conclusion today. God help us today. Wherever, wherever we are, Praise God. Help us to take a step and move in an intentional direction toward putting godliness to work. Putting godliness to work. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Come on, I want you to lift up your voice and pray today. There's some some real struggles in the house of God today. I'm, I'm not, I didn't just grab this out of thin air. This is real talk, real talk in the house of God today. God knows where you are. Amen. What you're going through is a time of testing, but he's going to prove himself to you. And in the process of that, he's going to make you, he's going to make you great. say, Pastor, could you really be serious? I've suffered abuse at the hands of people that were supposed to be the closest to me. I'm not downplaying any of that. I'm I'm just saying this. God is greater than the situation that could have killed you, should have killed you, but it's not killing you. It's making you better in the house of God. And you're getting better. You're taking steps, and you're moving in the right direction, and you're doing the right things, and God is doing great things in your life. And you can see it. You can see it, but every once in a while, there are voices, there are spiritual attacks of the enemy that want to come in and choke off the life that God is trying to breathe into you. I'm telling you, keep moving in the right direction. Keep moving Intentionality is a direction it's not a destination. I'm going to keep moving toward you God because the closer I get to you the less I think about all the things that are behind me. Paul said forgetting those things that are behind me I'm pressing toward the mark. Praise God. Praise God. Could you give me 3 minutes? 3 minutes could you just step out of the pew where you are just for 3 minutes this morning? Praise God.